morning, let's uh, spend time focusing on the king. But first, let's read the text from John 17. It's a significant text. It's, it is truly um, what is referred to as the high priestly prayer of our king. It's, it is, in a, in a real sense, John 17 is the holy of holies. It's going in to the very um, presence of God the Father where the Son intercedes for us. It is a, it's a glimpse into what intercession looks like. Well, the one who uh, pleads our case, the one who is um, our advocate with God the Father. So in John 17, <clears throat> verse 1, we read... These words spake Jesus, and lifted up his eyes to heaven, and said, Father, the hour has come, glorify thy Son, that thy Son also may glorify thee, as thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And this is eternal life, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. I have glorified thee on earth. I, I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. I have manifested thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were, and thou gavest them to me, and they have kept thy word. Now they have known that all things whatsoever thou hast given me are of thee. I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me, and they have received them, and have known surely that I came out from thee. They have believed that thou didst send me. I pray for them. I pray not for the word, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. All mine are thine, and thine are mine, and I am glorified in them. And now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world. And I come to thee, Holy Father, keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me I have kept, and none of them is lost but the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. And now I come to thee. And these things I speak in the world, that they might have my joy 
fulfilled in themselves. I have given them my word, and the world hath hated them because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Thou hast sent me into the world. Even so, have I also sent them into the world. And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also might be sanctified through the truth. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. They all may be one, as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, and that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. And the glory which thou gavest me, I have given them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them, and thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that thou hast sent me, and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. Father, I will also, I will that they also, whom thou hast given me, be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, which thou hast given me, for thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world hath not known thee, but I have known thee, and these have known that thou hast sent me. I have declared unto them thy name, and I will declare it, that the love wherewith thou hast loved me may be in them, and I in them. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went forth with his disciples over the brook Kidron, where was a garden into which he entered, and his disciples, and Judas also, which betrayed him, knew the place, for Jesus oftentimes resorted thither with his disciples. Judas then, having received a band of men and officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, cometh thither with lanterns and torches and weapons. Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that should come upon him, went forth and said unto them, Whom seek ye? Well, that's where we'll stop our reading. But to, to read the high priestly prayer of Christ, to read his prayer, his words to the Father, to actually read those words of his intercession for us, and then recognize that he goes from that place, from the Holy of Holies, he goes from there to Gethsemane. So from that prayer, walking downhill, crossing the little brook, going up to the lower part of the bottom of the Mount of Olives where there's a garden, and in the grove of olive trees, there, 
They come for him. Heavily armed, an overwhelming force in the night with torches, with lanterns and weapons. And John, when he writes this, John marvels that he, knowing everything that would happen, I've stepped into a lot of painful things, but I didn't know just my own stupidity and my own um, ignorance caused me to step into horrible things, but would I have done it? Had I known? And he knows. He knows everything. He even knows the, um, he, he knows the nerve endings on the back, the lower back, where things really sting, and how he will be afflicted, shredded with a whip. He knows worse than that. It's not just the physical, but it's the horrifying spiritual things that are going to happen to him. Things that can't be depicted in film. They can't be simulated. You know, like, like the crucifixion can be. Or even the, the beating leading up to the crucifixion. The scourging. All that can be simulated. What can't be is the horror of the cross. The real horror of the cross isn't the physical pain. It is something so much worse. We've only known little tiny doses of something we know as shame. And we're not even capable of the full, I don't know, um, experience of shame because we're numb. We're sinful. We've always been. We know shame in small degrees. Can't imagine all the shame of all the world of all the generations of humanity, all the guilt of every single guilty sinner, every crime ever committed in God's universe, all of that guilt, like, like, um, like collected sewage. All of it. It exists and it's real. And spiritually, it's, it's somewhere where he would immerse himself, where he would actually absorb it, be baptized into it, and the horror of that, and the shame of stepping into that, as if you are the doer of all of that, as if you're the one that did every one of those crimes, and seeing it for what it actually is in the light of the holiness of God, something else we're really not capable of. And then... The full fire of God's wrath for all that guilt. And that being banishment from him. Banishment from God's presence, from God the Father. So this high priestly prayer concludes. It is so about us, so others-centered He's not even thinking of himself. And he goes from that to cross the Kidron to go to that grove where they will come for him, where his bleeding will begin. And he'll bleed even before they come with all their weapons and their violence. John writes, he, knowing all things, that fourth verse, Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that should come upon him, went forth. 
went forth when anyone else would have been running away. He went forth when anyone else would have been fleeing. I say it again. Some of us might do something that looks brave, but it's only because we don't really appreciate how bad something's going to be. I don't know how you ladies who have actually carried a baby full time and given birth do that again. It's not like you don't know. It's mind-blowing. A level of pain that um, it's really hard to They communicate it. They, they actually have these um, measurements for pain, and it's the equivalent of about 30 broken bones at one time, the uh, process of giving birth to a human. <laughs> and... <laughs> And people will say things about, oh, it's just beautiful. <laughs> Frightening. It's not beautiful. I've witnessed it. It's not beautiful. It's amazing. It's, it's a lot of things, a lot of ad- but beautiful is not one of the words, not an adjective I'd use for that horrifying agony that I have witnessed. And yet, for love's sake, a woman will do it again. For love's sake, that uh, a life has come into the world. This is a little bit like that. Magnified in in, uh, millions and millions of times. So before we sort of focus on some of the things that he prayed in that high priestly prayer in the Holy of Holies, talking with the Father about us, consider what he is about to do. Just consider that in light of knowing everything that would come upon him. He went forth. John is, like we ought to be, overwhelmed with admiration for his hero. For he witnessed it, and he writes. He writes as an older man. He knew all of that was going to happen to him. He stepped right into it. He stepped up and went, who are you looking for? Whom seek ye? And they said, we seek Jesus of Nazareth. And he goes, I am. And it gets cooler from there because they all fall down just in him uttering those words, I am. And they all drop, all of them. And they don't even know why. The profound, I don't know, truth of it. The, the words, well, it, it comes right down to who is saying it. I am. Only God says that. Hmm. It's a statement of divinity. And this whole, I don't know, uh, thrown together tactical team all have a mutual blackout. All fall. All of them drop their lights, drop their weapons. Imagine the panic. They're all amped up anyway because they're thinking there could be trouble. And they go in there and all of a sudden they're out. And then suddenly scrambling. You know what it's like maybe to wake up somewhere and you don't know where you are. Try to imagine their um, experience for a moment 
of hearing the words, I am, and then not even knowing why, the profound um, truth of those words knocked them all down. They all went backwards. He went forth, then went backwards. I could dwell on that all day. Let's go back to the 17th chapter, though, and consider what he prayed. He identifies himself as the one who came down from God. He repeats that. In John's gospel, John, more faithfully than the other gospel writers, give us all these quotes from our king. Quotes that have him repeatedly announcing that he was sent by the Father. That word sent appears in every single chapter of John's gospel, in every exchange. You ought to take note of that. Go through the gospel of John and underline every time the word appears. The word is sent or send. You did send me. And you see that our king was obsessed and focused on making sure everybody heard that he was doing the will of another. He was sent. He was here on a mission, and everything that he was saying was what he was told to say. Everything he was doing was what he was told to do. He was representing someone. You, um, you live in a, a beautiful place, you Floridians. I am grateful to be here. I don't complain about the extreme northeast where I live, but it's a long ways from paradise. We're made for paradise, and the world is under a curse, and there's no paradise. And the extreme poles, the further you get north or south, away from the equator, the less like paradise it is. And uh, this is an amazing place. This this sandbar peninsula that you live on, so far south and so much nearer the equator. All of you should go on YouTube um, and look up the. Uh, there's a beautiful uh, simulation. There's several documentaries about Noah's flood, and the best explanation for Noah's Flood, and they've got these great computer simulations. I don't know if you've seen them, but you ought to look them up. They're really uh, quite impressive. It is, it is um, the various stages of the judgment of God in that, that flood event. And, the, and from a geological perspective, it really makes Florida unique. It's, it's an interesting place. One of the most fascinating places you'll visit is, you know, like the Dakotas. And you go there, and it's this massive Dinosaur graveyard. You guys know that. There, and, and what's amazing about the millions of fossils found there is that there's hardly any little tiny baby versions of big dinosaurs that are all buried there. Uh, why? Because it was the place where the biggest ones who were able to make their last stand as the waters were advancing over the, the continent. As waters were encroaching, and they're fleeing, they all made their last stand there, died. And then what happens? The whole process of the laying down of 
sedimentary layers, which happened in a very short time, under the influence of the dynamics of, of massive hydrology. All of this happens, and then the, the receding. Psalm 104 has this verse about how then the mountains went up and the valleys went down. And it's the collision. As a matter of fact, that's beautifully simulated, the collision of continental plates and the subduction of the Pacific plate, for example, under the North American plate, and the piling up of mountains and the sedimentary layers that make up all of these bear the indication that all of this was piled up while still wet mud pliable. So that's why you have the striped of stratifications. <clears throat> anyway, I go off on that often because I'm amazed by it. And, you know, the mountain peaks were thrust up. The Rocky Mountain Range was created by the collision of these plates. And, and the valleys were created and all of the water scouring every living thing, including all of the plants, all of it, flushing mostly south, some of it flushing west, right into the Pacific Ocean and, and carving the canyons. It's really quite amazing, the simulation. But the vast majority, all of that organic matter, all went right past your neighborhood here into the Gulf of Mexico where today the world you young folks live in, the world that in fulfillment to the words of the Apostle Peter in the last day scoffers will come, right? that are willfully ignorant, 2 Peter chapter 3, willfully ignorant of the flood, willfully ignorant that the whole world was destroyed by a flood. Deliberately, willfully ignorant of the flood <laughs> while we power the modern world off of the remains of the flood. What do they say? They say it. All of the crazy environmentalists are the climate change religion continually uses the term fossil fuels. What are fossil fuels? You understand, we are burning dinosaur bones. We are. The, all of the organic matter scoured off the surface of the continent. All of it buried. All of it is now coal, <coughs> natural gas, crude oil. And out in the Gulf, where so much of it is the vast majority of what was once on the continent is now under the water. Buried in the mud of the Gulf of Mexico. You, we, we power our gadgets, our big distractions. We power our lights from the decayed remains of the world that God judged while ignoring that that ever happened or denying that it ever happened. Isn't that mind-blowing? <laughs> I've flown from the Dakotas, in fact, it was just last, last winter, looking over all of that land, all of the sedimentary layers, and all of the canyons, all carved out by the receding waters, and flown from there, as the sun set, 
landing over Philadelphia. And look at that sea of lights, man-made lights beneath. And even marveling that this, this jet I'm sitting in, I'm traveling at, you know, four or five hundred miles per hour at 38,000 feet above the ground, powered by the decayed remains of the world that God judged. And down there, under all those lights, they're living their lives under those lights, seldom even looking at the lights that God put in the sky for us. Seldom even able to see those lights, let alone, you know, just look and ponder. Looking at all of their glowing man-made devices. <laughs> Sitting on a plane, looking out the window marveling. Looking around at all my fellow passengers, all glued to a little glowing light in their palms or on their laps. It is... Um, it is a reality that the very best explanation for who we are, what we are, and what happened to the world we live in, the best explanation for what happened to the world you live in, and for why is there a Florida? Why is there a big sandbar peninsula? All of the best explanation is found there in the book you hold, in that book. I believed, see, I actually believe that God has made himself known. He's revealed himself. And he does, this God, who is triune, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, created this universe that is time, space, and matter. And that God made us spirit, soul, and body, and reveals himself in three primary ways to us. He has revealed himself first in creation. He makes himself known by what he made. The number one way God reveals himself to us is creation. Creation provokes us. The way we are created, we are created to ask questions and to inquire, to wonder, in a way that the cow doesn't. I was walking by them this morning thinking, what do they think? <laughs> do they think much? They don't ever ask questions like, where did I come from? Where am I going? What is my purpose <laughs> for a living? They don't. They think, where's the better grass? That's it, really, not much more. They're made of beef. <laughs> they are made out of hamburger. And they're really not deep. You're, di you're different, you were created different, created to wonder and to ask and created with the capacity to see genius and wonder who's behind the genius, to see order and wonder and want to know who ordered it, who's the orderer, to see complexity and know someone planned that, that didn't just happen. Only 
a fool, only a moron, thinks it just happened. Scripture says, the fool hath said in his heart, there's no God. The fool doesn't even believe there's no God. The fool hath said it. <laughs> the fool. Greek word for fool is moron. I'm no Greek scholar, but I looked that one up. Only a moron would conclude that complexity and order was not the product of a mind. You see beauty, and you have to wonder, why do I appreciate beauty? How is it that I can even know beauty when I see it? You see beauty, you have to know that there's an artist behind the beauty. You hear a song, and you appreciate a, a song stirring you, moving your heart. And you wonder, how's that possible? How's it possible for me, in my kind, my species, to invent instruments to make music to then affect each other's emotion? All of this, and then to realize that behind it all is a person that it, creation itself, is intended to glorify the Creator and make us want to know Him. But creation won't tell us what He's like, other than He's really smart. And He's romantic. Secondly, God reveals Himself to us by conscience. Creation first, conscience second. There are things written in us. There is innate knowledge. Looking at this little baby Cash, he knows where to find me, and that's right here in my eyes. He knows that's another soul looking out through those. How does he know that? He came out knowing that. And as soon as he's, I mean, he spent time trying to get those eyes to work, trying to see, trying to process light, and then finally came to the place where he could process light and figure out, okay, those are people. And then he found his parents, and he found them at their eyes. And then the moment happens, it's happened between me and my children. Well, they're not just looking around, looking for you, but they found you at your eyes. And then they smile. They roll out their gums. And it's not just a muscle twitch. It's not just a gas causing a spasm. You know that they're looking at you and found you, and they go, ah, <laughs> a toothless smile that affects your heart like nothing in your whole human experience has with other people. How does that baby know where you are? That was innate. It's innate knowledge. In the same way, every living creature is born knowing, pre-programmed. They know. How? You don't have to teach a cow to thoroughly chew its vegetation. They just eat solid for us so we can eat them. And, and, and I'm an indirect vegetarian. <laughs> but nobody has, there's no mama cow going, chew your food. They are programmed 
All they'll do all day long. Check. Just check while you're here and you're around them. Every now and then, just go, hey, cow, and see if you can even get them to look over. When they look over, they'll be going. <laughs> How do they know that? They're wired to do that. They're pre-programmed. As a beaver is pre-programmed to stop the flow of water. This water's flowing, it's got to stop. <laughs> they're obsessed. They're, they're crazy, working rodents. They're just, uh, and if you ever attempted to tear their dam down and, and make them move away, you just blessed them. You gave them something to do. You, you think I'm going to tear this dam down, they'll build it that night. And you'll, I'll tear it down again tomorrow. And they'll go, thank you! And they'll build it again. And all they know to do is put sticks together, weave them, use their little web rodent feet to scoop up mud and pack it and like it. They're nuts. No, you want that dam to stop, you got to kill them. Or live trap them and transport them a long ways away from your land to someone else's. But they're wired, like, all right, water's moving, it's got to stop. Water's moving, it's got, and, and that, why? They don't have any identity crisis, they don't have any philosophical issues. They don't produce art. They don't have deep thoughts. They just go, no, water's got to stop. That's it. If you can imagine those caricatures of these creatures, and that is really the fun thing about, you know, CGI and humans now having the capacity to make animals talk, you know, and if you can sort of portray the beaver, he's got a hard hat on and a tool belt, and he's just super responsible. And he's got this neighbor, Otter. The Otter just wants to play all day long. And he must have such contempt. Just looking at him. And then no doubt the Otter, if you could interview him, you go, that beaver is like all work and no fun at all. And all of these characters, where did that originate? Who made those, those characters? Who, who did this? There's this genius behind it all. All right. He wrote some stuff on our heart. We know things just as they know things. You know you can move. There's a shady chair right there. That God actually wrote some things in our heart. More than just that there's such a thing as right and wrong. He also wrote in our heart that he exists. And we have an obligation to him. We know it. We strongly suspect it as soon as we get here. But, just like creation, conscience will not tell you his name, or his plan, or his love for you. And for that, the third way, God has revealed himself to us. Ladies and gentlemen, he texted you. God has texted you. God has spoken by written text delivered to us. His word, 
I, I have to tell you, before I go any further, part of my testimony is that I, I, I remember how creation kept talking to me as a boy in rural Maine, poor white trash kid that was odd. And, you know, my oddness and the poverty of my circumstance was such that I didn't have friends much. There was a lot of reasons for that, but it was just, I was odd. And I can explain my being odd, too, because, you know, it was the environment, the, my experience. But again, the poverty, if you are a little kid and you wet the bed all the way to your 10 and you don't have hot running water, you're going to smell like that kid at school. That'll affect you socially. I can testify. And if your clothes are rags, and if your father's gone, your fatherless, and you live in a dump, that'll affect you socially. Humanity is stratified, always has been. And every playground is stratified. The world, as it is, all begins on that playground. And it's stratified. There's various layers. And while I'm pretty sure there were a few, it's only a matter of perspective, <laughs> I could be wrong, there were a few that were a little lower than me for how they were treated. I think they, they were a lower level in the uh, certification of humanity in our, in our school. But I was near the bottom if I wasn't at the bottom. I'm grateful for that experience. But I, because I was weird, spent a lot of time alone out in the woods. And I was drawn to it. And I was drawn to creation. I was drawn to science and observation. And I spent a lot of time marveling. I spent a lot of time sketching, kind of artistic. And I, I would, uh, or if not autistic, I spent a lot of time just trying to see things and reproduce them on paper with, with pencils and, you know, limited resources. And I'd carve, I'd shape. All of that I kind of left behind as soon as I learned how to play guitar and make songs. And it was just always looking for an outlet. But even that, even the creativity made me go, what is this? What's up with this? Shouldn't I just be able to function? What's the point of creating? And all of it was screaming to me that there is a creator. Conscience told me that. Well, put that together with what little Bible I was exposed to as a kid in Sunday school. Not from a religious family, but my mother had enough awareness of the truth that when the church folk knocked on the door and said, could you come to church? She said, no, but take the kids. You got buses? I'm grateful for that. Go into the Sunday school, hear pieces of Bible. But you can really make a mess mentally of pieces of Bible that are not all sort of together in context. And as a boy, a weird kid, I really locked on to the worldwide flood, the judgment of God, the days of Noah. And it became the very much the most significant thing to me whereby I can know some things about this creator behind the scenes. And it scared me of him. I was scared of him. And I was pretty sure that he had good reason 
to do it again, that the whole world had been destroyed by water. I believed it. I'm telling you, it is the truth of God's word registers. It, it sinks with what is written on our heart. You know, it, it, it has a, a ring that nothing else has. It's a ring of truth. It, you hear it and know it's true even if you don't want it to be true. So I was terrified of God. And then add to that one storm. When I was about four, four years old, four or five, somewhere in there, one crazy storm was like a microburst. It was an intense storm. I thought the world was ending. And this little rented house we were in was struck by the strangest lightning. They call it ball lightning in science. Still, it's a bit mysterious, that form of lightning. Because it just, it's not like an instant boom, strike. It, 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 it can last for several seconds. Make a lot of frightening noise. It struck the house. And my mother, my young mother, screaming for us to flee. To go to the neighbors. Screaming for us to flee. I, as a boy, went total George Costanza and, and cared for no one. My little sisters, whoever I had to step on, in my terror, I fled running out in that storm for the neighbors. Pretty sure the world was ending. It was going to end. This is what it's like. Lightning and the thunder and all of that. And the terror. I was messed up from that time forward, my entire childhood. One drop of rain on the back of my neck. And I went into the, all, the worst panic attacks. I wish I could describe them. They were terrible. Physiologically, instant knots in my stomach, my breathing, everything. I was sure this is it. There was, there was no, uh, yeah, we, in, <laughs> being without a dad, and many of those years of childhood without a mom, she was just gone, just trying to find a man, somebody who would love her, living out country songs in town, in, you know, in the big city for us, which was Bangor, Maine. We, and we did this uh, several year stretch in the worst dumpy little, um, travel trailer it was a wreck that trailer was a wreck and when a storm would happen as if the storm wasn't bad enough the sheet metal would just start flapping in the wind so it was like amplified storm it was like worse than a storm inside that little travel trailer once i remember fleeing there i was about eight or nine in panic i don't know where i'm running once again i'm running to the neighbors i ran up to this neighbor's house I knew this neighbor, and I beat on the door again, abandoning my sisters, all sisters, just total freak out, terrified, scared kid running through the darkness of that night. And I beat on the door of my neighbor. And this, this lady, Dell, she opened the door, saw this drowned rat looking kid, and said, come in. And I came in, and when she closed the door, you know what the this weirdest thing that ever happened in my childhood happened? You know what happened? She closed the door in a regular house, you know, where there's insulation and a roof and attic. She closed the door and the storm stopped. Like it seemed like it stopped because inside that house, in that environment, there was no thunder. You couldn't hear the rain beating. There was nothing. TV was on. And the lights are on. And they're all hanging out there like it's just a regular day. Isn't that weird? I'm not kidding. I'm just a skinny kid. Like all crazy wet. Pale, bug-eyed, 
freaking out. And I thought, what kind of, what is this world? What the heck is this world? Is this like how normal people live? In storms? Don't you know the world's ending? <laughs> it was weird. They said, come here, sit down. Have a piece of cherry pie. Watch some TV. I'm trembling, eating the pie. Freaked out, going, what is this? Well, turns out that's, that's how regular people are in houses with windows and such. <laughs> My terror of God came to an end when, at 13, called by the Spirit, and I had made many attempts to read the Bible, and they always stalled out. All my attempts always fell short because I'm a kid, and I'd either get distracted or I'd procrastinate. Yeah, i got to get back to that. Or you get hung up on the genealogies, the bagots. <clears throat> I get hung up on the bagots and I go, what the heck? <clears throat> I remember reading in elementary school from the Living Bible, the words of Jesus Christ, where he said, if someone strikes you on your cheek, turn to him the other also. And I thought that meant turn to him the other also. <laughs> I am messing the Bible up so bad as a kid. I went, yeah, yeah, amen, amen that. I, I thought he was, I, I missed the whole point. And I did so much of that in early, but then when, at 13, provoked by the witness of someone else who knew the book, I said, I gotta know the book, I wanna know the book like that guy does, because that must be what made that guy, that guy. Everybody else is screwed up. The only person in my whole world seems to know where he came from, where he's going, and why he's here, is my middle school science teacher, whose job it is to teach me the theory of evolution, and he destroyed that theory. He shredded that. He taught it as a theory, which it is. And why? He put it side by side with established scientific law. He said, here's your theory. Here's your scientific law. You see how the theory doesn't work? Oh, it was glorious. But he was, he was, he was lighting a fire in my heart. It was like driving me crazy because if he's telling us that, that evolution didn't happen, then what's the deal? Where we come from? And why can't he say it? And You know, it was everything about him that made me want to read and know about who he knew. Back in 2012, when he died, I had a um, chance to spend the last year of his life he lived an hour and a half drive from me, so it was uh, once a week when he was in hospice care. Every Wednesday, I'd spend with uh, Lawrence Easton, watching him fade away. But the privilege to be able to weekly sit with him and remind him that his life affected mine it was a great privilege. Watching him slip away to heaven, to his reward. He didn't accomplish much in his life. He wasn't like a, a he, nobody knew him. Few knew he ever lived. He didn't have a long uh, career in education because of his faith. You know, they kind of ran him out. He didn't last long in Christian education. 
frustrated as a young man. He, he ended up just settling for a job in corrections, you know, prison guard, hoping to be able to affect some. But it was a privilege to tell him. It was what he knew and who he knew that made me finally, at 13, open up this book. The Son of God says that he gave to us his word. And he prayed that God would sanctify us, set us apart through his word. It was, it was reading the words of Christ for the first time. It was like for the first time. You know, I memorized John 3.16. I have in my house this crude painting done by a, I don't know, 10-year-old, 11-year-old me. And it was, uh, uh, my sisters had these, water, these paint by number kits. And so I'd, when they were done, I'd take the leftover paint and do stuff, not by numbers. And, uh, and I still have this picture of Jesus Christ, which I painted then, and I took the time to write out the words of John 3.16. He told me it was important. They wanted me to know that verse in Sunday school. I'm telling you, it wasn't until I was 13 that I really got it. I really got it because I really believed that the Creator, the one behind the scenes, was just messing with us. I believed He made us, and He was mean, and had good reason to be. He's right, and we're all wrong, and we're all going to be damned. He destroyed the world with a flood, and I know He said He wouldn't do it again, but who could stop Him? Nobody, if he wants to change his mind, it was my, my kid mindset, he could change his mind anytime. And I can't blame him. I knew the world was bad. It wasn't until that 13th year, reading it all in context, starting in Matthew, and reading through the four Gospels, and when I came to John 3:16, that time, at 13, it blew my mind. Blew my mind. It overwhelmed me. It was a discovery for me that God loved us, that the Creator, the one I thought was vicious and messing with us, actually was revealing himself through his son. When his son said for the first time to me, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Up until that point, I thought the son was pretty cool. But the father was not cool. Didn't realize the coolness of the father is what made him send the son. It was the son of God that made the father known to me, and it was by his word. And I, of course, other things were happening. By the time you hit 13, I'm sure testosterone production, which, which went kind of crazy on me, Really crazy. I had the testosterone level of a bull shark all through my youth. It was bad. It was really bad. It was so bad. I started growing breasts. No kidding. And you you want to talk about? I'm I'm like at 13. I'm really skinny, and now I'm growing breasts. And I and I've got enough sisters to know what's going on. Real tender, and like and they're and now they're in love. I'm like I remember going to God and going, Come on, can I get a break? It's like, not bad enough, I'm fatherless, I pull white trash, and now i got to have boobs? <laughs> I had that conversation with God. I'm not kidding you. I had that one. 
got to be kidding me. I later learned that whole gynecomastic is the result, in my case, I'm way more testosterone than what I needed. Like, guys get that doing steroids. What can I do? I'm, I'm white trash. I don't even have a doctor. I've never seen one, unless, unless I got to get stitched. And I, I'm like, I, and I can't tell anybody. I don't have anybody. I spend all my time wearing heavy shirts. I'm like, what am I going to do? And the, the only answer, I know this is funny for you. It wasn't for me. The only answer was push-ups all day. Just do push-ups, build up the meat behind it, and bury it. Bury the boob. <laughs> that was it. Just grow some pecs. <laughs> I was motivated. I was a motivated push-upper. I could do push-ups. I could do one-handed push-ups. I could do push-ups. I could do iron crosses between furniture. And, uh... <laughs> So anyway, the boobs are, they got sort of buried. <laughs> just here to bless. <laughs> Sharing my experience. The, the discovery that God had loved us and the, the revelation by his word that he, God, sent his son. <laughs> this person we read about here who's praying this high priestly prayer is the genius behind the complexity. He is the artist behind all the beauty. He's the he's the romancer behind all the romance that he's all of that what existence is about for us. That realization, that discovering, is what made him my king and me a Christian. I don't know what you guys think a Christian is. And I don't know what you think about the kingdom of God, but a Christian, <laughs> it doesn't mean much anymore. The word's been wrecked. You know, it started in Antioch as a term of derision. It don't mean much in America. In the West, anymore, it means little. But a Christian isn't somebody who chooses a lifestyle for its benefits or a, a culture because it seems better and has, you know, all these um, advantages. We're not somebody who does any of that. A Christian is somebody whose heart has been captured by Jesus Christ, by the King himself. We can be, and, and so much so that we don't mind that the world hates us, that we've been captured by someone the whole world hates. And we're like, okay with that. We are the one group of people that cares less than anyone else cares about the opinion of the stratification of our fellow species because they're all full of crap. They don't know anything. They're too stupid to know him. Too stupid, too ignorant, too selfish, too blind, too foolish. So here in this high priestly prayer, which I'm not doing a good job of expounding on, but I intend to, 
is that he continued to communicate to us. And right here, all the way to here, he did it in John 3, John 4, all the way from John chapter 3, every single chapter of John has him saying, my father sent me. To the point of what looks like redundance, he'll say, my father sent me. You guys, get out of the sun. It's, it's okay. It's okay to get up and move. As I was saying, this ain't bad. This is actually kind of nice. Um, as I was saying, it is on every single page, even to the point like in John 5, and in John 6 and 8, it is multiple times. This is the work of God, that you believe on him whom he has sent. And this is the will of the Father which sent me. He, he does it. Look at it yourself. In your time alone with the word, take your pen and underline sent every time it is. And it will leap off the page at you. This is cool. I like this. I planned this. No, no, I like it, but thank you. <laughs> Thanks for offering to help an old man. <laughs> I'm just going to go with it. I'm here. I'm committed. <laughs> so it is here. Think about this. He defines life, everlasting life. Life is not everlasting existence. It's an everlasting relationship. An everlasting knowing that eternal life <laughs> is knowing him, the only true God. And he calls himself, for the first time, Jesus Christ. He refers to himself in John 17, for even the first time, as Jesus the Messiah, Yeshua HaMashiach, whom God has sent. He did the sent thing again. In his high priestly prayer, this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. I guess that's a good stopping place. That in my, my fall. Think about it, that God loved you so much that he... All right, let's, let's, use, let's use baby cash again. Can you look at that little package of human that looks like George Vega? <laughs> look at that little guy looking out with his wondering eyes, trying to, as he is, trying to leave ignorance behind, looking as he does for input. And as you do that, try to imagine God, eternal, omnipotent, omnipresent, omniscient, knowing everything, God, laying those attributes aside to become a human, to become one of them, little baby cash guys, to become a human child. I don't know, you, 
Can you imagine willfully choosing to have everything you know erased? Can you imagine choosing amnesia? To start all over, like somebody who's experienced head trauma, having to learn how to tie their shoes, work their hands all over again. That can happen. You know that happens, right? People get sent all the way back to early childhood through head trauma. Imagine, though, God choosing it. Second person of the Trinity, the eternal Son of God, who existed before the foundation of the, of the world, who said in this prayer that we just read, that he, he, the glory that he had before the foundation of the earth, before the world was made, laying all of that aside, wiping himself of knowledge, giving himself no advantage over us, other than the fact that he's not sinful human. He's born of a virgin. He didn't have a human father like us, and therefore doesn't have our flaw, which is sin. But wiping clean everything he knows to become here as a human and have to, just like us, figure out how to work eyeballs, how to process light, and then through that processed light, begin to see evidence of genius and the revelation of God in creation and hear and learn to speak. And then to even learn his own word. To learn his own word. And then to fully even learn and discover his own destiny, his own identity, and why he's here. Do you understand that all happened? And why did all that happen? Because God sent him. That's why. He went through all of that. He dove, he plunged himself into our humanity, into our experience of ignorance and weakness. He became one of us to reveal God to us. All right. Lord, I pray that you would please illuminate our understanding of this truth, of this reality. Show us, Lord, from your word that you came for us and you came because you were sent the creator, the whole universe knows us, loves us, and wants us to know and love him. I pray, Lord, that you would meet us all in the scripture, that you would illuminate our understanding of this truth. Show us your glory. Reveal to us, Lord, your nature. I ask you, Lord, that you'd help us to be those people who aren't just part of something that we got caught up in, but instead, I pray, Lord, Help us to be those whose hearts have been apprehended by you. Yeah. Show us your glory. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Hey guys, take your